Hello and welcome to Nex Talks. I'm Nex and this is where I talk. Today's episode was a listener request from Chris in Idaho. Chris wanted to know about something he had heard about in a YouTube video about video gaming and how it lights up different pleasure centers in your brain. The suggestion was that there's different parts of your brain connected to different types of rewards. I wasn't able to find that in any of the research, but I did learn a lot about the pleasure pathway and the dopamine pathways in our brain and kind of this like reward circuit within the brain, which I can share with you today if you're interested in that. But I also learned some really interesting things specifically about how video games affect the brain that I found really interesting, and I hope you will as well. So let's go ahead and dive in. So let's start with the neuroscience aspect of this. I am not a neuroscientist, so if I'm pronouncing anything wrong or if I mess any of this up and you catch it, please let me know. I want to provide as accurate and truthful information on this podcast as possible. So I want to start out with talking about the mesolimbic dopamine system. And this is basically the reward system in our brain, the reward center, the reward cycle. And it seems to originate in a place called the ventral tegmental area or VTA. And there's other parts of the brain involved. There's the striatum, there's the nucleus accumbens. Um, These are all, these seem to communicate with the basal ganglia, which they believe has something to do with action selection. So basically when we do something that releases dopamine, which is associated with feelings of pleasure and happiness, our brain wants to relay that information. So in the VTA, the ventral tegmental area, which I'll just call VTA from now now on because it's much shorter and easier to say, that's where the dopaminergic neurons originate. And then when that trigger happens or that stimulus occurs that lets the brain know, oh, hey, dopamine is needed here so that we can feel good and, and start to relay this information to the rest of the brain, those neurons transmit messages to various other parts of the brain. Like I talked about, nucleus accumbens, the striatum, the basal ganglia, these all seem to be related to motor function, which means that we can, it kind of helps us to move towards the things that bring us pleasure and inversely to move away from the things that don't, because this is the same part of the brain that deals with dopamine inhibition. So if something that we don't like happens, this part of the brain is generally still involved. And I apologize. I know this episode and my last episode, I've been a little bit all over the place and I apologize. I'm doing my best. I'm kind of getting back to making podcast episodes and I've been staying so busy that it's like I'm recording bits of each episode on different days and it just kind of gets a little bit jumbled. But hopefully you're still able to gain good, valuable information from this. And please always give me feedback, whether it's positive or negative, so that I can improve my quality of my content and just make it better and more valuable for you as well. So the basal ganglia, where I kind of glossed over that, where it's in charge of action selection, this means that this, this is like a part of our brain that seems to help us to choose what we're going to do. So still related to motor function, but this is kind of theoretical. And what's cool is some of these studies on video games have backed up this theory about the basal ganglia having to do with action selection. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. 
Other parts of the brain involved in this reward system are the hippocampus, which is memory. So this is where we can remember the things that bring us joy or pleasure or pain and, and displeasure and dissatisfaction. And the prefrontal cortex is involved as well, which is the part of our brain that's kind of associated with like self-control, discipline, logic, reason, decision-making, executive functioning, kind of like the higher level functions of the human brain. So a lot, almost all of the brain is associated here in relaying these messages to our entire body so that we can move accordingly, act accordingly, feel accordingly, and the whole brain is really involved in every time dopamine is released. And anything that releases dopamine has the potential to become addictive. And this isn't just drugs and alcohol. This is and even things like gambling that people associate with addiction more readily. This could literally be food. Um, it could be sex. It can be things that are, you know, in a healthy, balanced state, good things for us that, that help to nourish our bodies and help us to reproduce and to connect with other humans and so on. But any of these things can become addictive because of this dopamine reward system. So having some understanding of how it works in the brain can be helpful for helping you to become aware of anything that you might be addicted to because it gives you good feelings of dopamine release and just start to become more aware of ways that maybe you can balance and moderate so that you're not becoming addicted. Even something that seems good, like being productive or making money, can become addictive. We've seen on social media that people seem to get a type of dopamine release from likes and comments and engagements on their social media to the point that they can become addicted to that as well. And video games are no exception to this. Now, I've heard it said, I didn't find any literature to really support this, but I have heard it said before by who I assume is a reputable individual, but I don't want to really cite them just in case. I don't want to, like, misquote them and then have it come back to them or me in any kind of negative way. So I'll just say I've heard someone say, so take it or leave it in terms of validity, that dopamine is there to incentivize us to be productive, right? To do good things, to eat food, to eat, to drink water, to procreate, to be productive, to be valuable and useful to the society, to help it con continue. Well, in the modern day with modern technologies, this can be perverted very easily because in a video game, we obtain a lot of rewards. We accomplish a lot of tasks and objectives, and this acts on the same reward center of our brain. And dopamine also seems to be correlated with motivation. So when we have higher levels of dopamine, we should be more motivated to continue to pursue things that release dopamine. That's the supposed evolutionary benefit of this hormone, this neurotransmitter of dopamine. But this can backfire in something like a video game because we become more and more motivated to accomplish more and more in the game and to get better and to do better and to compete, which in a, a lot of environments can be very beneficial to the species at large. But in a video game context, it's a question mark. Sure, esports are a legitimate 
industry at this point, and there are people who can compete and earn money in these ways. But it's a lot of sitting down. I mean, there's VR now, and I will say I didn't research VR at all for this episode, so that might be a future episode if you're interested in hearing something about VR. Just let me know in the comments or reach out to me on social media. But generally, when you're playing a video game, you're sitting on your butt, and if you're really into it, you're sitting on your butt for hours. You might forget to drink, you might forget to eat, you might forget to check in with the people that you have relationships with, you might forget to sleep, you lose track of time, you go into a flow state, and video game companies develop their games to be relatively addictive, really. They want people to play them because that's how they make their money. The more you like the game and the more time you spend in it, the more likely you are to spend money on it, promote other people to play the game, and this is how they make their money. And they study psychology just like anyone else, and they know that if they can give you a good reward system and a good level of challenge, they can put you into a flow state and and really cause you to lose awareness of pretty much everything else. And this is true for all addiction. But the point of this episode is not to talk about how video games are addictive. I don't really think that's news to anyone. If this is your first time hearing that video games can be addictive, congratulations, you've already learned something. (laughs) But I actually found some very interesting information about how video games can be helpful to the brain and how it develops the brain differently and actually seems to potentially change parts of our brain that can be useful in medical purposes. So let's get into that part now. The first study I looked at, which was out of Germany, talks about differences in gray matter volume in video game players versus non-video game players. And what they found was that the video game players actually had more gray matter in their left striatum. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And that was pretty interesting because this is as I mentioned earlier, part of the brain associated with the reward pathways, and it also is one of the areas that receives dopaminergic signals and relays those signals to the basal ganglia, which, like I said earlier, is implicated in action selection. So this is the study I referenced earlier, where this is a study that actually supports that theory, because the gamers were actually able to make decisions more quickly than the non-video game players in the study. They actually required less deliberation time to make a choice. Unfortunately, the study was done based on a gambling type game, so it's really difficult to determine if they were able to make any better decisions than the non-video game players or if they were just quicker to push a button, which wouldn't be such a stretch to think that a video game player would have good reaction time on pressing a button. (laughs) But uh, we also don't know if they had a higher left striatal gray matter volume because of video gaming or if they like video gaming because they have more gray matter in this part of their brain. Another criticism I have of this study is that there was substantially more men represented in the video game player population and more women in the non-video game player population, and they didn't seem to control for that or consider that at all. And as much as gender identity is valid, there are still 
biological differences between a male and female brain in the way their hormones work, in the way their gray matter and white matter is distributed. So there are some differences here that weren't addressed at all by this study. So is it because they play video games or is it because they're men? We don't really know for sure. And getting back to the gambling component, what would have been more interesting to see is if there was a difference between video game players and non-video game players in helpful, useful decision-making. So having an actually better option and being able to use some kind of information provided to you and then having to make a decision based on the information provided and comparing speeds of making those types of choices would have been a lot more interesting because just because someone can click a button faster than someone else, they have a faster reaction time maybe in the real world. You know, maybe this makes a slight difference in something like maybe driving, but even then we really don't know if it's applicable to the real world because this is just them pressing a button uh, really, a lot of these studies that were used, they're using video games as the measurement for many of these studies. It's like, okay, are video game players better at pressing buttons in re reaction to something on a screen? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Is this a useful data point in the real world? Not necessarily. Just because they push a button faster doesn't mean they're going to turn their wheel any faster or make any better decisions and require any less deliberation time than anyone else in the real world outside of pushing a button on a video game or in a casino or some of these very narrow applications that would come from a study like this. Some deliberation is often necessary. And are the video game players actually doing that deliberation faster? Or are they just being more impulsive? More research would be needed to draw a conclusion. Another study out of France found that gamers had faster reaction times, and they also found that they actually had a faster oculomotor response. So they were actually measuring like their reactions in their eyeballs as well as the motor response, which I think was the same thing, just pushing a button, which again, I think they have the advantage here rather than something else that would be a task that neither the video game players or non-video game players had any really practice doing before. I think that would have been a much more fair metric, but I didn't get to design these studies and they are still published in scientific journals, so I am sharing them with you. It's interesting. What's more interesting is this same study showed that the gamers did have a more accurate sense of probability. They had a better almost intuition associated with where what was going to more likely result in a win or a gain for them than the non-video game players in the study were. There were a couple of studies done out of University of Rochester that showed something specifically around action video games. So an action video game is loosely defined as something that has multiple things going on that you have to keep track of. So reaction time is important, but there's also usually more of an element of strategy involved in this type of a game. And they found that people who played action video games had greater attention capacity, greater spatial attention allocation, meaning they had a better feel for space and reasoning through space. However, that same study, when they 
tested these same individuals in the real world, they found no difference. So they, in a video game type environment and in a virtual environment where they had to navigate spaces, they were better at that. But this is a perfect example of where that didn't really translate to real world processing. But it does show how video games, action video games in particular, can be used to develop these parts of the brain for different purposes or to recover from different types of brain injuries or diagnoses. For instance, also out of the University of Rochester's Center for Visual Science, they found that video games could actually improve people's CSF, which stands for Contrast Sensitivity Function, which is something that helps with your vision. So they were kind of studying to see if there was a way to use different types of games as modalities to help people to improve and enhance their vision or to recover their vision. But by far the two most interesting studies, in my opinion, came from two different scientific journals. The first is Psychology and Aging, and the second is the Annual Review of Neuroscience Journal. The first found that video games improved executive control functions like task switching, working memory, visual short-term memory, and reasoning in, quote, older adults. I don't know the exact ages, but they found that adults who hadn't really been playing video games, they would use different types of video games to see if they could help them to improve their memory and their executive functions, which tend to decline in older age. And they did find improvements in all of those areas, which I think is profound and really important for people to understand. And then the second one found that games help people to learn. It actually enhances their ability to learn. And I think this is probably true for anything new that you're learning. So a brand new game is going to come with a learning curve, learning a new skill, really learning anything new. We've known learning new languages, learning new instruments. These things are great for our brain. And video games can be used in a similar way, in a therapeutic setting, in a medical setting, in a psychological setting, and also just in your free time. So this isn't to say that you should spend all of your free time playing video games because there are some potential benefits of playing them. It's just a matter of being open-minded. I want this episode to kind of challenge you. So whatever you were hoping that I would say on here, whether you were looking for the good things about video games to justify playing them, or if you were looking for something bad about video games so that you could continue to demonize them and the people who play them, I want to encourage you to listen to the whole episode through and make sure you're hearing both sides of the story because there are benefits and there are potential risks of addiction. So I think the most important thing, as always, is balance. Prioritize your health, observe your behaviors and see, are you doing something too much? Are you spending too much time in a certain area of your life? For this episode, we'll say with video games, or is it something you do sometimes for fun? Maybe it's social. Maybe it does enhance different parts of your brain. You know, things like word puzzles can help to increase vocabulary. There can be a lot of benefits to different types of games. Just don't let it consume your life. And keep an open mind because those of you who hate video games and their addictive nature, it does seem like they have some useful benefits that I just want you to stay open-minded about and just keep learning. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Next Talks. I'm Nex. I talked. I hope you liked it. If you'd like to participate in the conversation on this subject or any other future topics that you'd like me to talk about here on the podcast, you can do so in the comments or by reaching out to me on social media. I always love to hear from you, and just like you saw, this episode was a listener request. Yours could be a featured episode in the future as well. If you liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please consider supporting this podcast on my website, nextjuice.com. That's N-E-X-J-U-I-C-E dot com slash support. The link will be in the description of this episode. Thank you so much, and I'll see you on the next one.